a good move. Why don't you dance him? Dancing is forbidden. Yoo-hoo, running crew, welcome to Dancing is Forbidden and Aqua Teen Hunger Force Exploration. I am Ronnie, and on this podcast, I watch through every episode of Aqua Teen and talk about it right here, right now. The episode I'm talking about today is Space Conflict from Beyond Pluto. Man, he's been in that horse anus room for a long time. Yeah, he has been in there. I did it once. That was enough. You know, funny thing about this episode, right? So I usually try and find the clip that like says the title, obviously. And I don't think they ever say Plutonian or Pluto in this episode once. So they must they must call them that at some point because like that's what they're called. Right. And I guess we get Pluto in the title. But even then, it's 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 space conflict from beyond Pluto. But when we see the spaceship, I'm getting kind of ahead of myself here. But when we see the spaceship and stuff, they're not beyond Pluto. They're like, they can see the Earth, so they can't be that far away, right? But whatever. Uh, yes, thank you for joining me. This episode of Aqua Teen aired on April 7th, 2002. So it is the first episode of 2002, and it's been over three months since we've had a new Aqua Teen episode. So we'll be jumping ahead once we get to our, like, what was going on this week. Before I get to that, as always, got some small housekeeping things here. Uh, first of all, I want to let you guys know there won't be a normal episode next week because next week is my spirit journey formation anniversary, aka my birthday. Um, but that's not why I, I'm not doing an episode. We're going out of town. So between work and the stuff I have to do to get ready for that, I'm not really going to have time to put together like a good episode. I think I, you know, I don't want it to feel rushed. So yeah, unfortunately, when I launched this podcast, I literally wrote the robot episode, released it, and went from there. The smart thing would have been to work a little bit ahead so I wouldn't be on a week-to-week basis, but here we are. And yeah, I'll, I'll, put, I'll put something up. I'll put some episode out. I'll talk about something, but it won't be a full episode, just so you guys know. But yeah, beyond that, I've uh, been kind of busy putting together a YouTube channel for the podcast where I will upload these podcasts to it. But the cool thing will be you'll be able to see the like the Aqua Teen clip. Like, so as you hear the audio, you'll see the video as well. Probably doesn't matter to you guys. Um, this is more for people who requested it when I've posted the podcast around. Some people asked, oh, is it on YouTube? So I'm just going to put that up there. Personally, I wouldn't watch a podcast video, you know, but for, for some people, that's their thing. So I'm going to throw that up. But um, more importantly, and something that you guys will probably care about is I'll start doing some sort of video content in terms of going over things that make more sense to do in a video format. For example, I mentioned it before, but I totally plan to do a video where I compare the finished 11-minute episode of Rabot to the 15-minute like rough draft version that we get on the Season 1 DVD Extra. So just stuff like that. I'll let you guys know here when like videos for that go up. It won't be like super frequent, but I'll let you guys know when those are out and about. Otherwise, I want to give thanks to um, Twitter user at moon underscore over underscore Marin for making some wonderful fan art for the show. I really enjoyed it. You can head over to their Twitter. Again, that's at moon underscore over underscore Marin or head to my Twitter to see it at Pod because I retweeted it. It's very colorful, very nice. I liked it a lot. Moon over Marin also asked me if I would go over Adult Swim bumpers at some point, 
which I most likely will on the YouTube channel I just mentioned. And I also plan to like go over DVD extras and stuff. Again, just stuff that makes more sense to do in a uh, visual format. But of course, these normal podcast episodes are always going to be my priority. Just kind of let you guys know what I'm up to. So yeah, that's 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 the the basis of any news I have. Again, no new episode next week because I'll be out of town. But I'll put something up. I'll try and find something quick to talk about. So all right, before we head over to what was going on this week when this episode of Aqua Teen aired for the first time, we do have two fan messages that I'm going to play. Again, if you want to leave a voice message for me to play on the show, you can head to dancingisforbidden.com, find the link there, check the show notes, it's in there, or head directly to speakpipe.com slash dancingisforbidden. First up, we have an origin story from listener Brandon. And I fucking love these origin stories, guys. Keep them coming, please. Let's check out what Brandon has to say. Hey, Ronnie. Wanted to stop by and share my first experience with Aqua Teen Hunger Force. I think it's kind of an interesting story. So to give you some real quick context, my parents were the kind of people who thought that media was like not sin, but really bad and like corrupting. Like they thought that Diablo was evil and like my brother who played it got like anger management problems from it. Like all this crazy stuff. They thought SpongeBob was evil. Anyways, um, this was 2007. I was six and it was like the day of, or the day after the Aqua Teen um, Moon and Night panic, the Boston thing. And it was all over national news and Ignocked and Ur were like just planted all over the place. And my parents saw it and they recognized it and they went absolutely nuts on my brother, like comparing it to like 9-11. It was crazy, man. Um, so yeah, they got in like a huge argument. They got really angry with him for just like being a fan of the show. And obviously like this really piqued my interest because there was so much fanfare around it. So I ended up asking him what it was all about. He gave me season three on DVD. I watched the whole thing in secret and I fell in love and I have been a forever fan ever since. Anyways, I love what you do. Uh, please keep doing it. I'm having so much fun at work listening to your podcast and I hope you have a good rest of your week, man. Brandon, you're the fucking man, dude. Thanks for sharing your story with us. I, wow, I, I can't imagine that. Like, So for me growing up, my parents were really hands-off in terms of like the, the content I got to consume so I, I discovered Aqua Teen because, you know, my parents always had Adult Swim on at night. And I got into a lot of the music I liked because my mom would play that music. For example, I think I mentioned it in, in the first episode, but System of a Down's Toxicity was on heavy repeat in our car because she had it and would play it. So I feel very lucky in that respect. And I totally recognize and realize that probably most people weren't that lucky um, so I really appreciated hearing your story. And I think it's it's called the Streisand effect, right? Where you're told not to experience something or people don't want you to know something, but that just makes you want to experience it more. It seems to kind of be the case here, right? Like if your parents were not making a big deal about Aqua Teen, maybe you wouldn't have cared enough to look into it more. Who knows? But yeah, it's funny that you mentioned SpongeBob specifically because... I grew up loving Spongebob and when I tried to talk to my fiance about it, or at least when I did when we first started dating, she didn't really know anything about it because her mom wouldn't let her or her siblings watch like shows like that, like Spongebob, you know, Simpsons, that kind of stuff, because she thought it was, you know, stupid. Not not really that it was evil or any like religious reasoning, I, I assume. But 
just like, oh, yeah, go read a book. You don't need to watch this shit, which I, I understand like to an extent. You know, maybe you don't want your kids watching TV all day, but I feel like people just miss out. And it's, it's kind of sad because, you know, obviously we're all here <laughs> listening to an Aqua Teen Hunger Force podcast. So we're probably pretty biased. But yes, Brandon, thank you so much. Love that you're listening to the podcast at work. That's where I do my podcast listening. So it's cool that I can get some Master Shake, Frylock, Meatwad in your guys' ears while you're unable to watch the show. So yes, thanks again, Brandon. And then we have, we have another message from our friend Yosarian who left us his origin story last week. And he's got a little bit of uh, an anecdote here for us. All right. So you said you're out of voicemails. Well, it's Yosarian back again. The name comes from the novel Catch-22. This time, I'm going to share with you the story about how Aqua Teen Hunger Force got me laid. Aqua Teen Hunger Force never got me laid. It didn't happen. The end. <laughs> you know what? Uh, it's kind of funny because I make an Aqua Teen Hunger Force podcast and it actually doesn't get me laid either. So kind of interesting. I feel like... Um, Maybe as fans of the show, we should get together and uh, figure out something about this. Thank you, Yosarian, for your message and also for letting me know where your name comes from. That's it for messages this week. Thank you guys both for sending them in. Really enjoyed listening to them. And again, if you want to send yours in, check the show notes. It's all there. All right. So with this business out of the way, let's see what was going on this week. The very week that Space Conflict from Beyond Pluto aired. April 7th, 2002. As I mentioned, it's been over three months since we've had a new Aqua Teen episode. And Thriller Panic Room is blasting the box office this week with over $48 million grossed this week and the previous week as well. Panic Room broke the Matrix's record of $27.7 million for the highest Easter weekend debut. This movie stars Jodie Foster, Kristen Stewart, and Forrest Whitaker. Has a 6.8% on IMDb and a 75% on Rotten Tomatoes. So pretty decent reviews. I've heard of this movie. Haven't seen it, but I'm sure it's good. And I looked into it. There is no overlapping cast with Aqua Teen Hunger Force on this film, as I suspected. But you never know. So I'm back with another kind of TV tidbit. Uh, like I said, I don't think I'll do TV tidbits every single week, but... We have one this week. It didn't happen in April, again, because I, I haven't been able to talk about anything in 2002 yet, but I feel like this is worth talking about. In February of 2002, the final Family Guy episode airs after Fox announces its cancellation. So as we all know, Family Guy moves to Adult Swim, and this happened April 20th of 2003, so <laughs> 4.20. <laughs> and that'll be next year from the airing of this Aqua Teen episode. But yeah, Family Guy moves to Adult Swim, picks up popularity with that uh, as well as DVD sales and goes back to Fox on May of 2005. But during its tenure on Adult Swim, it kind of makes Adult Swim a lot more popular. I remember in 2005 being like kind of annoyed. I was like, oh, now Fox wants the show back after like the Adult Swim viewers make it profitable, I guess. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of weird. <laughs> I was like 11 years old. I don't know why I was upset about this, but I guess it is kind of annoying, right? They're like, oh, we don't want this. It's not popular. Oh, wait, you made it popular on this, on this good channel? Give it back. As you can suspect, and I'm sure most of you know, there is a lot of overlapping cast between Family Guy and Aqua Teen. I mean, I've even mentioned some of it on the show already. But most notably, Seth MacFarlane went on to play Wayne the Brain McLean in Season 2, Episode 10, Super Trivia, which airs 
in September of 2003. So they probably worked on it around the time that Adult Swim picked up Family Guy. But yeah, that's it for movies and TV. Again, won't be talking about TV every week, but I feel like this is kind of relevant. So let's let's see what was going on this week in music. Jennifer Lopez is back with another one of her fucking murder remixes, um, Ain't It Funny, which spans from March 9th to April 13th. So I'm kind of glad that we skipped over a lot of these weeks because we'd have to be talking about Jennifer Lopez constantly. I swear, we've talked about her every episode of this podcast because she's always got something in the charts she was huge at the time i don't remember her being as big as she was but i mean i wasn't really paying attention to this kind of music but yeah our billboard hot number one single is ain't it funny murder remix i don't recognize this song at all as per usual i think i liked i'm real the other j-lo murder remix song more but this one's all right too Actually, I found out that supposedly, I, I can't believe this is true, but this is what I read. Uh, Jennifer Lopez is the first artist with a remix album. So that's where these murder remixes are coming from, from this remix album that came out uh, sometime around this period. In terms of our Billboard alternative song, number one, we have... P.O.D.'s Youth of the Nation topping the alternative charts for two weeks. I actually like this song. It's all right. I, I definitely remember it from when it was big. Listening back, yeah, it's, it's, it's fine. Definitely one of the better tracks, I think, from this like new metal period of music. All right. In terms of our Billboard 200 number one album, we have Now Nine, which... It's fucking weird. I, 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 I'm not going to play anything from it because it's just like a compilation disc, right? Like, I can't make you guys guess what it would be. Uh, I didn't know that these would even be in the running for best album. So I looked into Now 9 a little bit. For those who don't know, Now That's What I Call Music was like a uh, compilation of the top songs at the time that would come out every... I feel like a couple times a year, so maybe like every four months, maybe they'd come out with a new one. I had now five growing up, and I like that disc. Uh, there's some good ones on it, and there, there's some genuinely, I think, pretty decent now discs, specifically the earlier ones, but this one was fucking garbage. I looked into this, the track listing on this one. Um, so we have Pink Get the Party Started, which I think is like one of the only big songs on it. There's Mary J. Blige's Family Affair, which was huge at the time. Shakira... Whenever, wherever. Like, there's some okay songs, but then there's just like, for example, there's like songs that weren't the big hit singles from their respective albums. And those singles came out on earlier Now discs. So it seems like mostly this Now compilation got the third single from every album that was out at the time, which were like obviously not the best singles. So it's just kind of like there's a lot of big names, but it's not their best songs. So it's kind of a strange thing to listen to. But yeah, that's it for music. Um, kind of an underwhelming week, I think. But hey, that's all right. We'll see what's going on in our next episode here. In terms of video games, we had a couple things that came out. We had Star Wars Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Outcast that came out March 26th. So like a week or two before. Uh, I'd never played that one, but the reviews on it are good. So maybe one of you guys did big game that came out at the time was Kingdom Hearts, which came out March 28th. And yeah, this was like a weird mashup of like anime stuff and then Disney. 
I never had it, but my cousin did. So I'd watch him play because I didn't have a PlayStation 2. And it just seemed really strange. And to this day, it seems strange to me. I know those games are really acclaimed. I'm not like trying to speak badly of them. I'm sure they're great games. I just don't know like how that thought came to be of like, oh, we should mash up these anime characters with Disney. But one thing I do know is the theme song from this that they use in the commercial fucking slaps. Oh man, this song always haunted me. Like that melody is so beautiful. It is simple and clean by Utada Hikari. I don't speak Japanese, so try my best to pronounce that close to correctly. Apologies if anybody here uh, was offended by that attempt. And it's based on a song she did in Japanese. She's a Japanese artist, obviously. And they made an English version. I, I Actually, I think I prefer the English version. I like the way that the, that intro melody goes a little bit more than they do in the Japanese version, but they're both great songs. That's just always stuck with me, and it, it, it always pops in my head from time to time, even though I hadn't even heard the full song until not that long ago. But just from hearing that commercial, it always just really got in my brain. Last bit of gaming news. Deus Ex, the 2000 PC game, gets a PS2 port on March 25th, being the first time it's on console. I'm just kind of talking about this because this is a game I actually know. I haven't beaten Deus Ex, but I played a lot of it. And it's a very interesting game. It gets kind of compared to Half-Life a lot. It's just one of those games where it's just a great RPG because there's so many options you have in terms of how to approach a level or how to build your character and your actions have consequences. For example, if you go into the women's restroom in like the government base that you work at, <laughs> later your manager or your boss will talk to you about it and like tell you not to do that again. Just really forward thinking for its time. It's one of those old games that really tried to be really comprehensive and you don't get to see that a whole lot anymore because it's just really hard to pull that off. So yes, Deus Ex on PS2. That's it for the video game news and all the other news. Let's see what was going on this very night that this episode aired. So looking a little different here because it has been, you know, three months since we last watched an Aqua Teen episode or a new Aqua Teen episode. And what happened in that time span was on February 23rd, 2002, Adult Swim was split up into two. There was Adult Swim Action and Adult Swim Comedy. Adult Swim Action took on the anime shows and the more action-oriented programming, which means that Cowboy Bebop isn't a part of these lineups anymore, at least for now. So tonight we have Adult Swim Comedy, which was Sunday nights. Our first show, as usual, is Home Movies, but we only have one episode of Home Movies now. It is the episode called Politics. And Home Movies just finished its second season like a week or two before. And the second season is in Flash and not Squiggle Vision. So it's like straight lines, not everything moving around. And so, yeah, this was the season that was produced by Adult Swim. Yeah, that season two just finished. And now they're just playing reruns of season two, which is still really new. It just came out. After that, at 1030, we have Baby Blues with Rodney Moves In. This is not a new episode, but yeah, Baby Blues is a new show for Adult Swim. 
It initially debuted on the WB, but was canceled after the first eight episodes aired. And this was in the 90s, late 90s, I believe. The rest of the series would air on Adult Swim starting January 20th, 2002. So Baby Blue has been on for over two months at this point. I liked Baby Blues. I remember really liking it a lot as a kid, but I can't remember a whole lot about it, and I'm not sure that I would quite like it now. I'll have to watch it again. I'd be really interested. I remember really loving the show. After Baby Blues at 11 p.m., we have our episode of Aqua Teen, Space Conflict from Beyond Pluto. Again, the first new Aqua Teen episode in three months. After Aqua Teen, we had Sea Lab 2021, uh, also a new episode in the closet. And this is also the first new C-Lab episode of 2002. So C-Lab and Aqua Teen kind of in the same boat here. We wrap up the night with Space Ghost Coast to Coast episode Gallagher and Chinatown. Both reruns. And that's it. Normally, Cowboy Bebop would follow these shows at the 12 o'clock slot. But again, they were moved over to Adult Swim Action. So that's our night, April 7th, 2002. Oh boy, what a time. You're listening to your now 9 CD and you're playing that Kingdom Hearts, and you're having a great time. Without further ado, let's take a peek. Let's watch. Let's talk about what the first Aqua Teen episode of 2002 has in store for us. We are on episode six of Aqua Teen Hunger Force, and this marks the first time that the Dr. Weird skit at the beginning has absolutely nothing at all to do with the episode. It's just Dr. Weird saying, gentlemen, look and behold. He drops his pants and starts laughing. We get a cut of Steve's shocked face and that's it. There's no vague reference to the episode. For example, like in Mayhem of the Moon Nights, the ship flew down and flew away. And also the guitar Dr. Weird was playing. It's just that's it. I mean, get used to it because from now on, the Dr. Weird skits won't really have anything to do with the Aqua Teen episode, which is fine. It gives them more freedom and the show is taking less of a detective stance. It's just all pure comedy from now on. So yes, Dr. Weird drops his pants, laughs. That's it. I'm not going to play the clip because might as well take any opportunity I can to not get my ass sued for playing so much copyrighted content. So heading over to the actual Aqua Teen episode, originally this script had Old Drippy in it, but the storylines were split up into two episodes with Old Drippy appearing in the next Aqua Teen episode. So this one just focuses on the Plutonians. The episode opens with a shot of the Earth and the camera pulls like inward, like towards the Earth. And as this happens, we hear La Cucaracha being played on like a keyboard and it gains fidelity as we zoom in, meaning, you know, it's coming from Earth. Ultimately, we see a satellite on the Aqua Teen Hunger Force's house. And then we go into the house. We see it was Frylock playing La Cucaracha. And as he finishes the first part of the melody, the remaining notes are blasted back at him at supersonic levels, shaking their whole house. And yeah, Frylock is happy because he achieved contact. And a video chat with two spiky aliens pop up on his monitor, Emery and Oglethorpe. Let's check it out. Computer, triangulate the coordinates of the signal. Hey, neighbor, what is up? Hey. <laughs> How, how's Earth going? And stuff. <laughs> so, 
Both Emery and Oglethorpe are named after colleges in Atlanta, Georgia, where the show was produced. Dave Willis joked in the commentary that there may be a third Plutonian called Morehouse at some point. With Aquadonk side pieces coming out now, that might be a possibility, right? Maybe they want to write another character for these guys. So maybe we'll see a Morehouse after 20 years. Who knows? Oglethorpe is played by Andy Merrill, voice of Brack, and appeared in the second episode of Aqua Teen as Merle the Leprechaun. Check out episode two of this podcast if you want more background on him. I kind of go into him there. I actually found out that Andy has a YouTube channel where he has been uploading videos of himself as Brack using like a Brack hand puppet as recent as last November. So if you want to check those out, uh, definitely do so. The videos don't have that many views. So honestly, you guys are missing out. They're pretty funny. And it's cool. I love when actors really love a role that they do and they continue to do it outside of that project. It reminds me of how Johnny Hardwick, the voice of Dale Gribble on King of the Hill, he also wrote for the show too. He's been doing videos on YouTube dressed up as Dale and speaking as Dale uh, that also don't have many views, which are as well very entertaining. So these like Legends are putting out videos and people just don't know about them because they're not really advertising them. Oglethorpe is a hot-headed, overweight, yellow triangle alien with a bunch of spikes sticking out. He wears a sweatband around his neck and is the leader of the Plutonians. Oglethorpe speaks in a German accent and Mike Lazo suggested that they try Andy Merrill's German voice for the show, which I guess he would do around the office. And then another cool Andy Merrill fact is that he actually hired Dave Willis as an assistant on Cartoon Planet. So we can thank Andy Merrill for Aqua Teen. Oglethorpe is accompanied by Emery, who is played by Mike Schatz, who, according to the commentary, is doing like a subdued Chris Farley voice here, just acting in that way, which now that they mention it, I can totally see it. Mike's a local Atlanta guy, and when he's not acting, he works in advertising, is my understanding. Apart from Aquatine, he's also voice acted in Frisky Dingo, Squidbillies, Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell, Archer. And his most recent acting credit is 2021's America, the Motion Picture, which has a big overlap with cast and crew from Aquatine, although the ratings on it aren't that great. I haven't seen it, so I can't speak to it, you know, if it's what I think of it. But it is on Netflix, so you can watch it if you have Netflix. Emery is a tall green rectangle shaped alien with a bunch of spikes sticking out of him. He is mild-mannered and wears a sweatband on his head. He seems to kind of just go along with Oglethorpe's plans, even though he doesn't really agree with them a lot. You know, he kind of is combative towards them, which you'll see a lot in this episode. According to the Aquatine Hunger Force fandom wiki, if one includes all 13 of the Season 3 Space Kataz cold openings, Emery has made more non-speaking appearances than any other villain in the series. So, kind of an interesting tidbit. Now that we have explained the history of the voice actors, back to the episode... I just love the dialogue here. So the aliens pop up and just, hey, neighbor, what's up? Hey, how's Earth going and stuff? <laughs> and they have these big, cheesy, suspicious smiles on their faces. So you know something's up. Frylock continues to talk to the suspicious Plutonians who are barbecuing two watermelons, one of which is on fire, two whole birds with feathers and everything, and two steaks. So let's hear the rest of this conversation. Aliens, I can't believe it. Are you a peaceful race? Well, hell yes. <laughs> You're barbecuing, aren't you not? How do you want your melon? Emery, the melon's on fire! Well, of course they're on fire. They're not made to be cooked. That's enough fire. <laughs> you prance around like you have laser eyes. Do 
So you don't have laser eyes because it was my hypo- hey, hey, we're barbecuing here. Why don't you come on up? Yeah, and bring a cold six. Okay. <laughs> How do I do that? I mean, do you have some sort of particle transmitter or- Particle tran- what do we look like, a couple of nerds? Totally a particle transmitter. Oh, yes. <laughs> One of those. We have that. <laughs> right off the bat, I hadn't seen this episode in quite a while. And I was just surprised how much the first time I watched it in preparation for this episode, I was laughing at it. I was laughing at almost everything these guys were saying. And I feel like that's going to be the case for this podcast episode. So apologies if my laughter over the tracks gets annoying. So the entire time that Emery and Oglethorpe are, are talking, they have these big grins on their faces. Like, you really have to see it. But I just... <laughs> Frylock asks, are you a peaceful race? And <laughs> just, well, hell yes! <laughs> um, it's strange to me that Frylock can't believe that he's made contact with aliens, that he's seeing aliens, when he's met the Moonanites, who are aliens from the moon, right? Along with other weird creatures that they've met so far. And he's also a box of fries who lives with talking food products, so you'd kind of think he wouldn't be too surprised, but still, I, you know, I guess it, it sets up a great joke of these characters, uh, the Plutonians, trying to convince Frylock that they're peaceful. I know grilled watermelon is definitely a thing. I've never had it, but I don't think the Plutonians are grilling it right. They just have, like, they literally cut a watermelon in half and then put it on the grill. I think you're supposed to grill slices of it, but I'm not completely sure. And I can't help but think about how disgusting those whole birds on the grill would smell. Like, those burning feathers have to smell disgusting, right? Oh, God. But yeah, anyways, uh, Frylock dematerializes. And as soon as that happens, we'll see in this next clip, Oglethorpe kicks over the grill. The Plutonians just start arguing with each other. And then Oglethorpe reveals his evil plan of wanting to melt Frylock. And again, all this discussion taking place before Frolic rematerializes. So in that last clip, he dematerialized. So we'll get some conversation. Then Frylock will join the scene. Don't get these gross shanks of flesh out of my dominion. Oh, that is great. Why don't you burn the ship down? At, while Shut you're up. At <laughs> I have an amazing plan to betray our new friend. <laughs> I thought the plan was to barbecue with them. Please are for fools. <laughs> When he gets here, we melt him and laugh on into the night. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we just, like, you know, talk to him and Why stuff? Why don't you just shut up and let me do what I want for a change? What about this fire? Put it out! I love that Emery just wants to hang out with Frylock. He just wants, like, some new friends. So for him, when Frylock first talked to Emery and Oglethorpe, Emery was being sincere. He really was just like, hey, man, what's up? <laughs> like, he really thought they were just trying to get a new friend, which I love. I really, really, really sincerely wish we could have seen, like, what they were doing before making contact with Frylock. You know, because they had the grill set up and everything, so you would think that they were planning to talk to Frylock. So I would love to see that conversation beforehand, but unfortunately, it does not exist. But yeah, Emery just wants to hang out with Frylock, but Oglethorpe has evil plans this is kind of a role reversal for Andy Merrill because in Escape from Leprechopolis, he was the more reserved, hesitant character. He was Merle just going along with Flargan's like, evil plans. While in this episode, he gets to be the one with the bad ideas and with the evil plans. So it's kind of fun to see him in a different role here. The pairing of these two characters, I think, is just brilliant. 
Uh, the Moon Knights are always on the same page, which leads to humor in itself. But I just love the bickering between these two. It's more my style of comedy, I guess, of what I like. But yeah, these characters are not on the same page. And Frylock finally rematerializes on the ship. And he has a six-pack of beer, which is funny because he assumedly was teleported right from his room to the ship, right? Like, they used their beam to bring him right there. So it's like, how did he get a six-pack of beer? But yeah, Frylock is here now. Hey, guys. I'm here. Who are you? I'm Frylock. <laughs> you know, we spoke earlier. No! <laughs> Welcome to uh, space. Oh, look, the room where we melt people. You melt away, yeah? No, I'd rather not. Say, say, what is this thing around your neck? Some sort of galactic space collar or... Space, oh, this is a sweat bag. <laughs> yeah, it keeps the sweat out of our eyes. That's what yours does. Mine doesn't work then. It's broken. Because <laughs> yours is a drool band, man. I mean, oh, thank you. Very good, Emery. Oh, look what's over there. Oh, it smells Disney World. Yeah, I've seen it, okay? <laughs> What are these spikes? These spikes all over your body. I mean, surely they have a purpose. What spikes? Oh, these. <laughs> no, no, no. These are not spikes. They are pointy arms. We squirt soap out of them, and that's how we keep the ship so clean. See? That's soap? Really? Well, it kind of smells like waste. <laughs> well, one man's waste is another man's soap. You know what I mean, guys? Oh, my God, dude. These two are just absolutely ridiculous. Something that I didn't catch until now. So Oglethorpe says that their spikes are arms, which for him makes sense. Like he does have long ones, like where he, his arms would be. But Emery doesn't. So I guess Emery just doesn't have arms. He can't really do anything. So throughout this clip, Oglethorpe keeps referring to a chamber in the corner of the ship. He really wants Frylock to go in there so he can melt him. But Frylock kind of knows what's up and he's not playing along with it. And he just kind of wants to talk to them anyways. Even, even if he didn't think it was for nefarious intent of him going in there. I absolutely love <laughs> that uh, Oglethorpe, it's, it's not a headband for him. It's a drool band, <laughs> which is so fucking gross. <laughs> Emery says that their spikes secrete soap. And that would actually make sense because their ship is very clean and you can clearly see the reflection on the floor. So soap for me does check out. But yeah, just great meeting between these two. Absolutely ridiculous. I had to split this conversation up because it's really long. So let's jump back into it. Oglethorpe is done with all the talking and really wants Frylock in the melting chamber. He has resorted to trying to use a frisbee at this point to get Frylock to go in there. Hey, hey, what is all this interrogation? Let's toss the frisbee over there. We will melt you into fluid! <laughs> Is there maybe a higher brain form that I could speak with? Or Nine! <laughs> we are on a top secret mission of world domination. World domination? You guys couldn't take over a damn bowl of jello. Hey, is that like an important place or something? Where is it? Okay. <laughs> just funny back and forth but about the jello bit. Where is it? I, I just. That's the, like the kind of humor I can only find in this show in terms of these characters. Yes, anding each other, basically. They just believe what each other say and build off of it. So there's a bit there. It's, it's audio, obviously. If you haven't seen it, you don't know. But Oglethorpe um, is trying to stomp on the Frisbee. And I just love the animation of him just moving up and down on it. And the Frisbee doesn't break, which is surprising. Um, you would think that it would because he seems pretty big. Frylock has had enough of these idiots, and at this point, he's ready to just leave. As you heard, he was asking if there was like a higher power he could speak to, but 
Yeah, he just wants to get off the ship. So he goes over to their console and just kind of starts pressing buttons and eventually ends up teleporting Shake onto the ship. Okay, okay, look. Which one of these buttons beams me out of here? Those buttons are red! You'll destroy us all! <laughs> all right, party time. <laughs> Whose birthday is it? Someone gets a spanking. <laughs> hey, happy birthday! Hey, who's the lucky boy? Shake, how did you get in this beam? Look, that beam came from space. You don't own space, so stop acting like you do. Oh God, just, just so much packed into this short clip. So Frylock pulls a lever and as you heard, party music starts playing and then balloons like slowly fall from the ceiling, which is just hilarious. The highlight for me is I love the second Shake gets teleported into the ship. He's instantly on board with what's going on here. Like he's just start instantly playing into it. He's just like, all right, whose birthday is it? He's not questioning why he just teleported or wondering where he is or who the Plutonians are. He just sees balloons and hears party music and he's just he's just with it. He's in it. All of the characters' reactions to these balloons are actually really funny. Emery's just like, all right, he 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 likes it. And then Oglethorpe is <laughs> whose birthday is it? Someone gets a spanking. <laughs> so I can't wait to get my birthday spanking next week. I hope you guys are all there for it. Frylock was fed up, he teleports out, and then that leads us to this amazing moment of Shake just standing there smiling at the Plutonians and they're just staring back at him with open mouths like they're shocked, they're horrified, they don't know what to do. Obviously, purely visual, but I'm sure you guys have seen the episode so you know what I'm talking about. And then the great thing is Shake turns his teleportation into a lawsuit opportunity. So let's check that out. their open mouths. Hey, how you doing? Oh, fine, fine. I'll tell you what, I wish I was. Oh, my God. <laughs> that beam coming up like that, the speed? I want to adjust that. I really did a number on my back there. I mean, and I don't want to say whiplash <laughs> just yet, because that's a little too far, but you, you're insured, right? <laughs> so the entirety of that clip while Shake is talking, the Plutonians just had this shocked look on their faces which I, I can't get enough of it. I love it so much. I assumed it was because they're shocked to see a talking milkshake, but they were cool with Frylock, so I'm not sure that that's it. Regardless of the reason, I'll never not laugh at these scenes. Just, oh my God. Uh, anyways, the Plutonians finally snap out of their shock and Oglethorpe instantly tries to get Shake to go into the melting chamber, but Shake is still concerned with his back. Oh, look, Vasis Das over there. No, you know <laughs> what? If I could just maybe lay down, my back might straighten out a little bit. That'd be good for now. Well, you might be interested to know that we are just about to destroy your planet. Oh, go ahead. I'm not there. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> you really think we need to blow up their planet? Is that what we said? Blow it up? Let's blow it up. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> Did it blow up, man? <laughs> You're toying with me! Drag the slave into the Melterium! So I love that Shake doesn't care about them destroying Earth because he's not there. That's such a Shake thing to do. They go to blow up the Earth, but as you hear, they just trigger the party balloons and music again. And I love Emery asking if it blew up, even though he can clearly see the Earth. Like, they see the Earth out their window, and it's fine. Yeah, Oglethorpe has enough. He really wants to melt somebody. That's like his life's goal at this point, is to melt somebody. So after all this, uh, we finally move on to like a, a B-plot. And I feel like this is our first B-plot of the show. 
It seems that they tried to fit B-plots in with deleted scenes, but obviously those weren't included. So this is the first time we kind of see a B-plot. So we go back to the Aquatine house where we see Meatwad has started a fire on the carpet. And I want to point out that the fire that we see, I don't know if I've mentioned it before, the fire that we see all the time in these early seasons is a campfire that Dave and the guys filmed and keyed out for Space Ghost. And now they just use it all the time in Aquatine. So... You'll see this fire everywhere. You've seen it once. You've seen it a million times. Look, Firelock. Look at your carpet. It's burning. The fire is bad, Meatwad. You shouldn't play with it. Oh, I know. I know. I use it in my work. <laughs> what is this? Who did this? You cannot cut someone's lawn with matches, Meatwad. Look, I know, though. You gotta have gasoline. Otherwise, how's it gonna spread to the street? Open this damn door now. Don't open it. I heard that. Open this door. We find out Meatwad uses fire in his work, which is, quote, cutting Carl's lawn. We see Carl's lawn is completely singed and on fire, and his car blows up as well. On top of that, his house is melting. Uh, I love how the burn marks are, like, perfectly only on Carl's property. Nobody else's property got damaged in the fire. So Meatwad actually is pretty good with controlled fires, I would say. He's not that bad at his job. It's just, uh, you know, not the proper place for such activities. But yeah, Carl comes over, starts pounding on the door. Meatwad doesn't want to open the door, which is a great running gag in Aqua Teen between all of the characters. I think at some point in the show, every character at least once doesn't want to open the door because somebody's pounding on it. But Frylock opens the door anyways. Hey, Carl, how's that yard looking? Pretty good, I bet, huh? Oh, it's done. So is the vinyl <laughs> siding on my house. Where's Shake? He's in space with aliens. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Why did I ever question that, <laughs> huh? You know, I gave Shake $20 to cut my lawn. Yeah, he subbed it out. And look, he gave me this crumb slub. Boy, I hope it's snow soon, don't you, Carl? <laughs> oh, yeah, I can't wait. A winter wonderland. Oh, let me see that sled. It's my freaking hubcap. Well, hell, I don't know. <laughs> I've never cut a yard before. So where exactly in space is he? Man, I love how casually Meatwad is like, yeah, he subbed it out <laughs> in reference to Shake cutting Carl's lawn. So Carl says he paid Shake $20 to cut his lawn. Which, according to in 2013 dollars dot com, twenty dollars in 2002 is equivalent in purchasing power to about thirty dollars and thirty five cents today. So, thirty thirty five to cut Carl's lawn isn't a bad gig, honestly. I mean, considering his yard is that big, and the only real obstacle in his entire yard is his pool. That's that's pretty generous of him to uh, pay Shake that much. Meatwad is sliding around in Carl's hubcap uh, or a sled, as Shake explained it to Meatwad. Which, the reflection on this hubcap is actually well done. They made it reflect the room for the most part, which took some extra work on their part. You figure, like mo Mostly when you see these kind of reflective artifacts in shows like these, especially in this show in particular, the reflection you see on the object itself is kind of like a generic lighting setup, but they actually made it look like the room, so I was surprised by that. In saying what they did right, I have to point out what was a glitch what was messed up which is when carl goes to pick up the hubcap you can see his forearm literally like detaches from his upper arm to do so because of like the cheap animation style to make it look like he is moving his arm to reach out and pick it up honestly they could have just had him bend over like he did and that be it like i don't i, I kind of question why they 
even did this. It feels like it was completely unnecessary. But yeah, you can see his arm detached from his body. I'm just surprised they took the time to even do that. But maybe they had other plans for it. They were going to make it look better and they didn't get around to it and just left it in. I don't know. But yeah, Carl asks where exactly in space is Shake. And we cut back to exactly in space where Shake is in the Plutonian's Meltarium, which he is sleeping in. And I should point out there is a large, a large laser apparatus pointed at his head. Why isn't he, like, melting? I mean, the beam's supposed to be on. No, it's not. <laughs> I'm looking right at it, and it's not on. Maybe we need the remote control. Well, maybe you shouldn't have run the melter through the VCR, shite's cough. Well, maybe it's because you said I want all meltings to be taped. Even though you never watch them. Hey, can you guys let me out? No, don't come out here. It's too dangerous. Look, make your man happy. Eight ways to healthy bonds. <laughs> now, where's that damn remote? Well, if I'd had it, he'd already be a puddle now. So in this clip, Oglethorpe says Scheisskopf, which means shithead in German. This made it through standards and practices at Cartoon Network, so they made sure to have Oglethorpe say Scheiss, or sorry, Scheisse, in future episodes. And you have to remember that this was early 2000s Cartoon Network, right? You weren't allowed to say shit. So it's really incredible that they got this through. I really like how upset Emery gets when Oglethorpe calls him a uh, Shyskoff. And their fight wakes up Shake and Oglethorpe offers him magazines. So I tried to look at the magazines as much as I could. The first magazine, I believe, says Sachet, which shows a woman with a flower in her hair wearing a green bikini top and skirt. I believe it says November 2001 and volume issue 28. But the text is so small that I can't be certain of that. On the bottom right of the magazine, it says, Make your men happy. Eight Ways to Healthy Buns, and Carrot Top Interview, which Carrot Top jokes were definitely popular at this time. At this point, probably a little overdone, but I, I, I still appreciated it. The second magazine is Modern Cake, which has a big pink cake on the cover. I can't make out any of the text because of the angle, though. Uh, once we see them, it's, it's just impossible. The last magazine is Field and Barn, which features a brown barn on a green pasture with a beautiful blue sky. And I also can't make out any text on that one either because of the angle. If these videos were 1080p, we could definitely see what these say. But unfortunately, it's only 480p. So very difficult to make out th this small of text, especially when it's at an angle. The room shake is in looks like a waiting room with a pink chair and table and carpeting with green walls. I love how the carpet is stained a bit. It's just kind of gross. <laughs> and yeah, we heard Emery talking about how Apparently, they tape these meltings. So it's a common thing that they do, which is surprising because my impression was they had never done anything like this before. Although I guess it makes sense that they have a meltarium, I believe it's called. You know, why else would they have that if not? But yeah, the Plutonians are getting angry because their laser isn't working and they're bickering more and more amongst themselves while Shake is getting annoyed too because he's locked in this room. They won't let him out. So he's pressing all these buttons. He launches an escape pod and he's just super frustrated. What in the hell was that? Uh, that was the escape pod. Damn it! Hey, you want to let me out? I need to eat. Quit pushing the buttons in there. This whole <laughs> ship's a bunch of buttons. <laughs> and I'm done with this red book. I was done with it the minute I saw it. And I'm hungry. You will eat what we say. You will eat when we say. That's right. <laughs> I am a guest. And you're not treating me like one. Fine. You want to eat? Let's see if you can eat pizza! 
So Shake launches the escape pod, and when it launches, this is the, our first time seeing the outside of the Plutonian ship, which we go on to see a ton more in the series, namely because of Space Kataz. You see that basically every opening of the show. According to the Aqua Teen Hunger Force fandom wiki, the Plutonian ship is really Uglor's ship from an episode of Space Ghost. I doubt I pronounced that right, but yeah, it's, it's ripped straight from Space Ghost, the original, not Space Ghost, coast to coast. Shake is in the Maltarium reading one of the magazines, and we can see a picture of a woman and what looks like a lasagna. I really like how Emery just knows it was the escape pod that Shake launched, but he didn't even know if the Earth was blown up when they dropped balloons in their spaceship. Just kind of funny there. Emery seems to be going along with Oglethorpe's plan at this point, although poorly. He says, yeah, you will eat what we say. That's right. But he seems like unsure about it, and he's obviously not that comfortable saying that. So Shake is hungry and Oglethorpe is about to see if Shake can eat some pizza. So in this next scene, we see the background behind Shake is replaced with a piece of pizza being dragged through a fish tank with Mary Craft providing a cool and relaxing voiceover. Mary appears in both Assisted Living Dracula and Vegetable Man, the two in-universe movies that they watch. So check episode three of this podcast for her background. We talk about her back there so yeah shake runs around trying to grab a pizza piece but obviously can't and he gets even more pissed off pizza really bring it on i'm ready prepare your stomach to set sail on a virtual <laughs> sea of pizza you gotta be kidding me this <laughs> is it the cool sauce i can't eat this just a great visual gag there of shake running after the pizza pieces and like jumping after them it's very very cute looking and but he quickly learns that he can't eat it so he's annoyed and then we cut back outside of the Meltarium and see the Plutonians plotting even further we can still melt them like I have this really bitchin hair dryer well you think that will work break it out then that will only take 4,000 more times well I'm just trying to help well I think screwing everything up is a funny way of he- the space phone is ringing. Where is it? You had it last. No, if I had it, it would be put back. I'm sorry, I don't know how to put things back. Hello? You give that phone directly to me! Hey. I found the phone! Can I speak with Shake? The, the phone is for you. <laughs> Emery is fully interested in the plan now, and he's explaining how they can melt Shake with his hairdryer. And there's just great arguing again between Emery and Oglethorpe here. Venture Brothers gets all this credit, rightfully so, but they get all this credit for showing the dysfunctional side of villainry, which is fair, but Aqua Teen doesn't get any credit for it. And they, you know, were out before Venture Bros. And I guess Space Ghost did it even before Aqua Teen. And of course, I mean Space Ghost coast to coast, not the original. I just love the way that Aqua Teen handles it. Um, you know, Venture Bros tackles the organized side of villainry, the comic book style side of things. While Aqua Teen Hunger Force is the more like thuggy villains, all acting of their own volition. The, you know, just guys who are kind of up to no good. But I, I, I don't know. I just, I love that about this show is that the villains are just arguing with each other and it's really like slice of life arguments too. Really mundane things a lot of the time. But as they're arguing in the Meltarium, there's a phone call and it's like a robot walking around with phones for arms, which that idea is kind of recycled later. I think it's in season two with the Universal Remonster, which also features the Plutonians. And it's it's a little monster toy thing with 
remote controls for arms. But yeah, here's a robot with phones for arms and it has the same like text-to-speech voice as the robot did. I assume they use the exact same program and everything for that. Oglethorpe busts into the room to take the phone from Shake, but it's Frylock calling for Shake. So he hands the phone right back to Shake. So it's a very funny interaction there. So let's hear what Frylock has to say to Shake. Uh, Shake. What do you want? Carl is here. <laughs> How did you get this? No, I'm not here. Oh, you're not there? <laughs> I Hello, Carl. Hey, buddy, how you doing there? Pizza land, huh? That's lots of fun. <laughs> hey, uh, I wanted to let you know that uh, you burned my freaking house down. But the grass is gone, correct? Look, that is the cost of doing business. I told you there would be risks. Yeah, no, the grass is gone. Just like your face is going to be gone when I shove it in a pastrami slicer. <laughs> <laughs> Slice my face off. You are clever. Get quick wit. Oh, well, look, relax. And I'll be down there in like five minutes and we'll iron all this out, okay? Oh yeah, that sounds great. That sounds great. Yeah, we'll iron it out. I'll go get my iron, my tire iron. Great gag here of Shake being annoyed that Frylock is calling him, which is a hilarious change of attitude since he's basically held prisoner on this ship. You know, the show does that a lot where one second a character is scared and the next they're like cool and calm and nonchalant, just... I love when they do that. It's just so bizarre and funny. But Carl is rightfully pissed off at Shake because of the lawn incident. And while they're talking to Shake, it's like a webcam kind of chat. So they can see Shake somehow. Obviously, it doesn't really make sense. But they can see Shake with the pizza background. So that's why Carl's like, oh, yeah, you're in pizza land there. I just love how this B-plot conversation is cutting into the main plot. The Plutonians are just waiting while this conversation takes place, right? Like, they want to melt Shake, but they're just letting this conversation happen. Um, that despite the fact that Shake is in space, held hostage by aliens who want to melt him, all this stops so that Carl can yell at Shake and threaten him over his lawn. <laughs> it's just a great, like, injection of breaking up these Plutonian, um, I guess, torture scenes. Obviously, they're not effectively torturing him, but that's their intention. Carl and Shake's phone call is over, and now Shake is confronted again with his current space hostage predicament. Well, looks like I'm not going back there. This, uh, pizza sea, does it do anything better than this? You want me to speed it up? But, I mean, do you have anything <laughs> like a, like a mountain adventure or We do uh, have another one. Yeah. Some people like it. Okay, load it up. Welcome. Is this horse's anus. <laughs> so gross. So after speeding up the pizza moving through water didn't satiate Shake's interests, the Plutonians agree to change the simulation to something else and adventure through a horse's anus. And actually this horse is one of Dave Willis's parents' horses. So I guess he just filmed it at their house or farm or whatever. And I guess Mike Lazo hates this joke, but I think it's pretty funny. The look on Shake's face is hilarious. His mouth just drops and he looks terrified and it, it just cuts. Um, so a great comedic cut there. As soon as Shake finds out about his new simulation, we are back in New Jersey where we see Carl and Meatwad checking out the damage to Carl's property. This scene basically solely, I think, just a cut from that previous scene because nothing really gets accomplished here. Hey, Carl, you want me to shampoo the rug? What's the freaking point, meat man? So you can give me some money. I love Carl saying meat man to Meatwad. It's very cute, nice endearing term, I guess. 
And Meatwad just wants to make some money, which is, you know, it's cute. He's a kid, basically. I mean, mentally. And he just, he's trying to earn some money. But yeah, again, this scene really just serves to break up the Plutonian spaceship scene. Uh, where we now return to to see Shake walking out of the simulation room and talking about his experience with the horse. Man, he's been in that horse anus room for a long time. Yeah, he has been in there. I did it once. That was enough. <laughs> Ooh, man, that was amazing. You start off as this blade of grass, and then you go inside, and it's like a luge. You go down the esophagus, you're in the stomach, large intestine, small intestine, small intestine, favorite part, by the way. You know, I like hanging out with you guys. Well, not you guys, but you, the stuff you guys have is great. <laughs> so, again, the entire time Shake is talking about how he liked the simulation, the Plutonians yet again have like a shock look on their face. They just don't know how to respond to this. They don't know what to do about this. Shake is just freaking them out. And I just love the, the twist here, right? Like, at first, Shake was horrified he was about to do that simulation, but then he ends up loving it. He's raving about it. According to the commentary, a lot of that scene is improvised by Dana Snyder, just kind of going off about what this simulation might be. I love Shake saying that he loves the Plutonian stuff. He doesn't really like them, but he likes using their stuff, which is, I guess it's honest, right? You know, he, he says what he means and he means what he says. I want to shout out all the sci-fi background noises in this episode, like the droning noises and alarm sounds and all that good stuff. It reminds me a lot of Space Ghost Coast to Coast. It's a great way to fill silent sections, which there are a lot of in this episode because of how many times the Plutonians are just standing there with their jaws dropped. But as I said, the Plutonians are fed up with Shake, and Oglethorpe tells him there's money on the wing of the ship, and Shake is more than willing to fall for the bait. Oh, look out there! One hundred dollars on the finger of the chip. Oh, that's mine. I dropped it. Now, where is it again? Out there. You see it? It's there. Look, this could be very dangerous. I I I'll handle it, okay? Oh, would you please save us from all the money? <laughs> we get this classic, what I've been referring to as great Aqua Teen Hunger Force humor of, I dropped that. That's mine. Like the second that Oglethorpe talks about there being money on the wing. Shake runs over, slams into Oglethorpe, sends him flying, which is funny. Again, I, I always expect him to be heavy, but I guess he's not. Or Shake just really has so much mass and ran that fast, he could still knock him over. I don't know. But yeah, I dropped it. That's mine. That's like always something that Shake will say. If anybody finds anything, he says it was his. And then Oglethorpe with, oh, would you please save us from all the money? <laughs> We cut to Shake being outside the ship right away. This is that episode really wrapping up. After, you know, it, it was kind of slow with all of the uh, repeated attempts to melt Shake, but now they really have to get things moving to wrap it up. So now Shake is outside the ship. Shake to ship. I'm still not seeing it. Oh, you can't see it? Well, let me turn on the light for you. Wait! <laughs> that sound just the Plutonians hightailing it out of there, hitting Shake in the process, sending him spinning in space. Shake, while outside, is in some sort of expedition escape pod with arms on each side to presumably work on equipment in zero gravity. This pod also makes sense because the Plutonians don't really have arms, so this explains how they would do that kind of work outside the spaceship. But yeah, the Plutonians just drive away, hitting Shake, and then Shake somehow navigates himself perfectly back to Carl's house. Ah, Earth, 
I named the Earth. Hey, hey, hey buddy. Oh, hey, Carl. <laughs> hey, lawn looks great. Liking it? Why's your house all curled up? I don't know. I was hoping maybe we could have a little dialogue about that. Hey, that's nice tire iron, Carl. Is that yours? Yeah, let me get in there and show you the finish on it. Up close. <laughs> so yes, that's the end of the episode. As Shake is coming back to Earth, you can see some artifacting on the left side of the escape pod. Like they forgot to erase some pixels or something. If you look closely, you'll see it moving with the escape pod as he descends. I bring this stuff up because it illustrates that things don't have to be perfect to be great or enjoyable. We all love this show despite its many flaws, um, most of which I've tried to point out here. This is something I've been trying to implement into my own life, that okay is okay, done is better than perfect, you know? If I didn't follow through with this philosophy, I'd still be working on the Rabot episode, honestly. I'd still be trying to perfect that. I'm trying to fit that into everything I do. Just, just, just do it the best you can and put it out there. And that's what these guys did. And we all love the show. So I think it's, it's some good advice that you don't need to overthink things. There can be mistakes and it can still be pretty bitchin'. I love Carl's attitude here. Uh, he always kind of has these attitudes at the end of the episode because he always gets fucked over in some way. And he's always just like, oh, yeah, what's up, buddy? <laughs> like, just so sarcastic. Dave Willis thinks that this is one of their weakest endings. Carl just kind of stiffly walks into the pod with his hand still on his hips and his butt crack showing and the door closes and it shakes around a little bit. That's the end of it. Side note, but I think this might be the first time that we see Carl from behind this way. Because I don't recall seeing his butt crack before. So I wasn't explicitly looking for it, but I think I would have remembered that. So I'm pretty sure this is the first time we see Carl from behind. At least this asset of it. And yes, I'm fully appreciating after the fact that I just said asset and also was talking about Carl's butt crack. Anyways, they introduced this whole B-plot of Meatwad burning down Carl's house, essentially. Just to have this ending, right? Like, that's the whole point of this episode. Because I guess if it was just... If it was just the Plutonian stuff, that would have gotten old, I think. I, I, I like the interstitial parts of like Meatwad and Carl and the burnt yard. As I said at the top of this episode, that original idea was to have Old Drippy in this episode. So I assume Old Drippy was like the Meatwad side plot because that's more of a, of a Meatwad episode. So that's my assumption here is Shakes in space and Meatwad is back home with Old Drippy. But yeah, they cut that out and they threw in this sort of burnt down house B plot, which I like. I I think it's good. And I like the way the episode wraps up with the B plot intertwining with the A plot. That brings us to the end of the episode, guys. Thanks for sticking in with me. So actually, as I've mentioned, I work night shift and I kind of this weekend got my sleeping schedule at a decent time being like not staying up until noon. And I'm in bed at like four o'clock and I can't fall asleep. And four hours later, it's eight. And I'm like, fuck it, man. Let's just go record this episode then. So hopefully I wasn't too lethargic, not too sleepy. Glad I could get this done and get it out there. Appreciate you guys listening. If you want to reach out to me, feel free to go to dancingisforbidden.com where you can find the episodes and a few links on the sidebar there. I got some cool links for you. Otherwise, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at AquatinePod. You can DM me, tweet at me, whatever you want to do. Email me at dancingisforbiddenpod at gmail.com. And of course, leave me a voice message, which you can find the link to that in the show notes. And 
yeah, I think that's it, guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for hanging out. If you like the show, the absolute best thing you could do would be to just tell somebody about it, post about it, whatever. The more you guys have been getting the word out, which I appreciate, there's a lot of you who have been. The less work I have to do and the more time I can actually focus on these episodes. Obviously, you know, I have a job, other obligations. So anytime I can actually sit down and work on these is very great. Again, no normal episode next week because I just won't have time to put in the work for it since we are heading out of town. So I'll put out some sort of episode, but it won't be a normal episode. And then, so two weeks from now, we'll be talking about episode seven, Old Drippy. But until then, take it easy, guys. Have a good week. Have a good two weeks, actually. Well, now I'll talk to you next week. Have a good, just one week. Just one, just have one good week. Hey, what's up, party animals? Real quick, I just remembered that in the last episode, I said we were going to be going over the outro to Aqua Teen because I thought that in this episode, they finally added in the animated elements to the credit screen. But it's not this episode. It's the next episode, Old Drippy. So we'll talk about that in the Old Drippy episode. So yeah, sorry, I uh, got my facts wrong. Hey, it happens, man.